Amen. We like that, huh? Good. All right. Well, let me give you a couple of things. Uh, first of all, next week as we uh, have Father's Day, uh, the 17th is Father's Day to my understanding. Uh, again, it's, it's a special service, yes, but you need to invite uh, uh, your friends and family. You need to invite uh, especially uh, dads and brothers and other men because we're going to have a drawing uh, at the end of the service. I mean, for something really nice. I wish Brother Kavanaugh was in here. He went and purchased it already. I'm thinking it's something like a grill. I mean, a good grill, too, not just a chintzy grill. We're talking about a stand-up grill, I think, or something like that. We're giving it away Sunday morning uh, to, to uh, the father, the, uh, I guess the father, not the son so much, but the father that uh, is chosen or picked, and uh, there'll be just basically a little, uh, we don't say raffle, but, you know, a little uh, drawing, put it that way. And then Sunday night, we're going to have something special again. We're going to have something special again. And some dad's going to win a special, very uh, nice prize or present. And so we want you to come on out. It'll be fun. We'll have a good time. And uh, like I say, we'll we'll, uh, certainly celebrate Father's Day next Sunday morning and next Sunday night. So plan on being here. Plan on being a part of it. Also, I want to remind you uh, about a book that's in our bookstore. It's uh, the third Uh, of a series of books. It's The God Concept. And again, uh, many of you have been to our programs, Easter, Christmas, and uh, Karen Fertig, uh, our ladies uh, leader upstairs, adult Bible class leader, she writes books and uh, she has her third uh, book in The God Concept. It completes the trilogy of the books and she uh, is, it's in the bookstore. If uh, you are interested in that book, um, she'd be more than happy to sign it if you'd like her to even. That's always nice to have the author's signature. And then also, let me just tell you, she has a couple other books coming out that I want you to be looking forward to. Um, she has uh, one called Significant, and again, it's a fiction novel, and uh, it's going to be discussing, um, uh, I guess, uh, let's see, let me read it because I'll mess it up. The purpose is revealed by several characters trying to find the elusive feeling of being significant. And then she's working on a children's story as well. And that's one I'm kind of looking forward to because I know I can identify with that one. It's uh, In Search of a Pure Heart. And of course, uh, a good king's looking throughout his kingdom for someone with a pure heart. And of course, he finds that no one has one outside of Jesus Christ. So really, great stuff. If you've ever read Sergei's Sacrifice, you've ever read one of the God Concept books, you know she's a great writer, doing a great job, and I did want you to know about them. They are in the bookstore, and, uh, you know, she's going to continue to write, obviously. She needs to sell a few books just to keep, keep things off the, uh, off the shelf and in the bank, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, I want to do all I can to encourage it because she do, does a fabulous job writing. You'll, you'll, be enjoy, you'll enjoy and be encouraged by them. Okay, well, I did want to mention that, and uh, so I hope that you'll take the time to go check that book out, and you'll be glad you read it. you certainly enjoy it. you probably want to get their whole trilogy, actually. All right, um, <clears throat> I think that's about it. Um, I guess it's time for some preaching, I suppose. Let's go ahead and uh, um, take our Bibles today and get ready for preaching. <laughs> you thought I was going to turn you somewhere, didn't you? Yeah, I did too, but then I realized I don't really have that here. It's the art of others. We're talking about the art of others, aren't we? And we've been talking about relationships. Last, two weeks ago actually, we began discussing how, to, how do we confront others effectively. And we noted three different things. And so we're going to basically pick up there. We're going to begin talking about how to confront others uh, effectively. And again, relationships are so important, aren't they? 
I mean, everything in life revolves around relationships. And so it's very imperative and very important that we get a handle on that. If we don't understand, we don't know how to deal with relationships, we're going to have a miserable life. And so we recognize some tools, we noted some techniques, and one of those things deals with confrontation. You're going to have to confront people, you're going to have to confront situations from time to time. And so we need to learn how to do that in a very effective way. And so last week, we went ahead and started with that particular lesson series, and we noted the first three. We said that in order to um, confront people effectively or confront a situation effectively, we need to confront them humbly, confront others humbly, humbly. That just means remind yourself that you're not perfect either. That's a good place to start, isn't it? You know, everybody's always right and the other person's wrong, it seems. But in confrontation, we need to be addressing it, understanding that we are uh, also uh, sinners just like everybody else and that nobody's really any better than the next. But uh, be humble. Number two, confront others sincerely. Confront them sincerely. Review your motives and ensure they're pure. We said that uh, ensure that your goal is to help and not hurt the person being confronted. Your boldness cannot be motivated by envy or anger, revenge, resentment, or even pride. It's got to be completely unselfish, we said. It ought to be, I mean, we, we asked the question, is your goal to win the point or win the person? Well, that's important, isn't it? When you're confronting someone, especially someone, then is it to win the point, the argument, or is it to win the person? Make sure your intentions are just and that, they're, that the person you're dealing with is the real winner in the end. That, that goes a long ways when you're dealing with confrontation. Number three, confront them realistically. Again, we said, remember, you can't change anyone. You can't change anyone. And sometimes when we're dealing with people, we act as though folks should change simply because we have um, you know, pointed out something that was true or maybe even an error in their life. Just because we pointed out, you ought to be, okay, I'll change immediately. It doesn't work quite like that. We said that although uh, we, tr we can try, we can try and convince them, we can try even to control at times, we can't change. We can't change anyone. It's impossible. And so we want to make sure we're, we're careful with that. Well, let's get to it now. We're going to start with number four, okay? And we're going to move along here because we want to learn how to confront effectively. People often give God and the Bible a bad rap. They say things like it's not very practical. It's too archaic and old. It doesn't apply to us today. Well, that's not true at all. The Bible applies to us as much today, if not more than ever. And it addresses these issues of relationships more directly than any other book you'll find. And it is extremely important that we take the time to understand how to do this properly. Otherwise, you're going to be in misery. And you'll really struggle with life. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, dear God, that you'd help us to take the time to really listen and allow ourselves, Father, to hear what you have for us. Father, we want good relationships. Father, we want relationships that are, I mean, that are strong, stable, and satisfying. And so, Lord, help us today as we deal with confrontation. Everyone has to confront. At some point, somewhere, we're going to have to confront a situation or a person. Help us to do it in a very biblical and a very positive way. And do it in a way, Lord, that ultimately brings glory to you. Help us, Lord. We need you. In Christ's name, amen.
So let's talk about this confrontation again. As we've noted already, we, we said we're to confront them humbly, sincerely, realistically. But number four, we need to confront others respectfully. Respectfully. What we're saying is you need to respect the person that you're addressing. See, you may be disappointed or even disgusted by a person's behavior, attitude, or choice. But be careful not to attack their person. The problem they need addressed, the behavior rebuked, the attitude put in check. But don't allow yourself to belittle them as a person. That's not going to accomplish anything. See, your ultimate reason for addressing the situation to begin with is to protect them from the hurt and the harm that will come as a result of the consequences that they're going to experience. So, I mean, the goal is not to hurt them, right? It's to help them. And you can't help somebody if you're only going to attack and criticize. You need to be very careful with that. See, the value of a person, and understand this, the value of a person, contrary to our cultural beliefs, is not determined by their contribution, but rather their creator. See, no matter how worthless you may consider a person, God is their creator. And as such, they deserve respect as a person. Amen. You don't need to condone their behavior. You don't need to condone their attitude. But you need to show them respect as a person. As a matter of fact, if you fail to show respect to a person, they're never going to listen to your point of view. That's just the bottom line. You may not, again, as I said, condone their behavior, but never, you, I mean, you may not condone their behavior, but never, ever question their value. Now, I'm going to see, I think I'm, I'm going to bring this table out. I do want to bring the table out because I don't want to get my pulpit in any way messy. This... This has been nothing but a thorn in my flesh all morning. We tried to lean. I, I'm going to have a confrontation in just a moment here. It's going to get ugly. I could, There we go. We'll see if that... It's crooked, isn't it? No, that's pretty good. There we go. That's better. All right. <laughs> Got to treat that thing with respect. I was about ready to kick it off the stage. All right, here's what I have. I have a couple of things here, and I'm going, to, I'm going to note them. Let me get this here. I just want to make sure i got everything in place. I've got my recipe right here. We're set. I wish we were making a cake because I'm hungry. <laughs> First of all, I have $2 bills. I have $2 bills here. Now, again, each one of them is an individual. Each one of them is separate. Each one of them represents one, doesn't it? There it is. Now... These are in good condition. Obviously, you can take this right now and you can walk on down to the, 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 the well, uh, the McDonald's. I, let's see, what, what are the McDoubles now? I haven't had one of those by themselves lately. Are they still 99 or they're $1.19 now? Praise the Lord. <laughs> so, so we still have that 99 cent McDouble, okay? So there it is, okay? You can take that down there. It's worth a dollar. One dollar. You can buy yourself one. As long as you don't eat there, you don't get charged tax, you can leave a dollar. McDouble. Okay, there you go. So, that one. And by the way, this one here, worth a dollar, isn't it? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Worth a dollar. Now, what if I take this bill right here and I wrinkle it up? I mean, I really wrinkle it up real good. I get it wrinkled up really nice. That's, that's a good deal, right? I mean, I'm wrinkling it up. It's, uh, it's uh, you say, well, it's still a dollar. I know it is, but it's pretty wrinkled up now. 
You know what? I, this dollar kind of reminds me of some people I know. All wrinkly. Am I allowed to say that? Am I, am I allowed to say that? I don't know. Am I, I, I hope I am. But uh, anyway, as we grow older, we even get wrinkled up a little bit. I got a few extra wrinkles I didn't have 20 years ago, sadly enough. I certainly have less hair. But anyway, that's a whole other issue. But nonetheless, as we grow older, maybe we, we wrinkle up. You know what happens sometimes as you grow older and I grow older? Sometimes we feel like we're less valuable. Do you know there are older people that feel very un, they're, they're of no value anymore? Especially as they get a lot older, they say, I can't do anything I used to do. I'm of no value anymore. And you know what? Sadly enough, in our culture, because so many young people never grow up in a, a, a home that has, say, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and haven't, they haven't really been around. There's so much uh, um, division and so much uh, separation in our homes. People are living on this side of the country. People are living on that side of the country. We're disjointed. We're disfigured. We're all the way, you know, separated by geography and distance. We don't even, we never even grow up around, around our grandparents. We don't go around up with older people. And so you know what happens, what I'm finding is happening with young people today? A lot of young people don't see older people as valuable because they're wrinkled up. They don't have the strength. They don't have the, the, the stamina they used to have. And they say, older people aren't worth anything. Young people, listen, don't be deceived. Older people, listen, if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here, first of all. And secondly, older people uh, have tremendous wisdom, usually. They've lived life. They can, they could, they could, you could learn a few things from them if you just slow down long enough to listen. But what I'm going to say is, is this. Because you have a few wrinkles on your body or in your face doesn't mean that you're no longer valuable. Just like this dollar bill, it has a lot of wrinkles, but I'll tell you one thing. I can still go down to the McDonald's today, buy me a McDouble, and walk away and eat it. Not only that, but sometimes there's a few wrinkles in a person's life. Possibly, you know, you think about maybe your health. Or maybe mentally, you're struggling in some areas. Someone says, we look at people and we, we, we say, well, that person has is, is got some real physical issues. That person's got some real mental issues. They've got a lot of wrinkles in their life. They're not as valuable as somebody that's got it all going. Wait a second. Last time I checked, this wrinkled dollar bill still buys a McDouble. Now listen, so it may be wrinkled up. No doubt about it. It's obvious. We can see it. But the reality is its value is not affected by its condition. Also, I noticed this, too. This dollar bill, it doesn't matter what happens to it. Get all wet. It's all wet now. You ever say to somebody, you look at somebody and you say, you know what, he is all, he's all wet. He's, he's all washed up. He's a nobody. He's nothing. He, he's all, it's all wet. Look at that drip in there, even on my floor. I don't like that. You shake that off there. You may view somebody you consider to be all washed up. But you want to know something? Doesn't matter how wet you think them to be, so to speak, they're still worth the same amount. Isn't that something? You know, we got an idea. We look at people differently than God does often. See, God's the creator. He knows the value of a person. He's the one that created that person. You and I see them for what they do or what they what they can provide or what they can produce. God says, no, I'm looking at them as a person. Here they are. You know what is sad, especially bad in our culture today? This is some dirt. Who would like to join me? It, this is wonderful, isn't it? I love playing in mud and dirt when I was a kid. Oh, we need a little more, please. Yes, let's fill it all in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I had a little too much water, but see, it's nice and dirty. But anyway, this dollar bill. Take that dollar bill. It gets in there. Oh, my. Look at that. Look at that dollar bill now. Isn't that something? That's a pretty dirty dollar bill, isn't it? Hold on a second. All right. I brought something, didn't I? Yeah, I'm smart. There we go. Did that fall back in there? It did, didn't it? All right, there it is. Okay? So what I got here is I got a dirty dollar bill, don't I? And that's nasty, isn't it? You know what? There's a lot of people in life, as we go through uh, the world and as we live, they, they're pretty dirty with sin. You, you know, you, you, you think about some of those people that are living with, you know, with vice and that are struggling maybe with drugs or alcohol or maybe sexual immorality. And, and we look at their lives and we say to ourselves, they're wicked, they're sinful, they're, they're involved in things that are just not right. And, you know, you think about, I mean, I mean there's some things we could, we could lay out right now or we could discuss that are really pretty gross and nasty, dirty, filthy with sin. Can I tell you something? I don't care how steeped in sin a person is. You may consider them invaluable. You may say to yourself, we would be better off without them in this world. It'd be a blessing if they got hit by a bus tomorrow. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are going to, <gasps> yeah, right, whatever. You've thought those things. Now listen to me. I don't care how dirty what sin a person is, how washed up they may seem, how wrinkled up and disfigured they may appear to you. They are still just as valuable as anyone else. You, you understand? Because, see, God, their creator, places value. I'll guarantee you, if I leave those dollar bills up here, they'll both be gone. Yeah. They'll both be gone. Someone says, oh, no, only the, the clean one, only, only this one will be taken. No, I don't think so. I beg to differ with you. And you know what? It's no different. People are no different than those dollar bills right there. One may look pretty and one may be perfect, but the other one, it may be dirty and filthy as ever, but they're both still worth the same amount. And that's how God views you and I today. And when you start dealing with confrontation with people, often there are situations in their lives that may taint your view of them if you're not careful. Oh, I agree. You don't have to condone their actions. You don't have to agree with the direction they're going. You may not in any way embrace their lifestyle, but you cannot look at them as though they are worthless. Because if you do, you'll You'll never be able to reach them and help them. And honestly, God says they are valuable because the Creator places value on them. Again, their value is not determined by their contribution, but the Creator. People may fail, but people aren't failures. People may fail, but people aren't failures. We have to be careful. Sometimes we're living in the moment. A person makes a bad decision today. It's almost as if their whole life, in our mind, is over. I don't know about you, but I've experienced the grace of God in my life. I know what it is to make some poor decisions and to go the wrong direction only to have God turn around and somehow woo me back into the proper relationship with Him. 
then ultimately allow me to be used of Him in spite of my past, in spite of myself. And may I say, it doesn't matter what you think about a person. It doesn't matter how filthy and dirty they are. It doesn't matter how wrinkled up or wet they seem to be to you. The fact is, is that God says they're valuable. And if you will approach them properly, you may be amazed how influential you could be in their life. Sorry, I can't stand that something got wet on my pulpit. I'm a little like that. All right. Listen, rarely, and you know this to be true in your life, rarely does one need to be reminded how low they are or how miserable they've become. I have a little statement I made the other day. I don't know if... Somebody else made it before me, but I put my little signature beside it. You know how they all do it, so I thought, I'm going to claim that one as mine. Here's my statement. Kicking someone when they're down isn't the best way to help them up. Put a little M-A-O at the end, Mayo. (laughs) Put that in your book, Karen. You have to give me credit now. M-A-O. Kicking someone when they're down isn't the best way to help them up. Boy, sometimes we're good at that, aren't we? We're good at it. Proverbs thirteen fifteen says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Well, listen, if we're confronting someone because we're concerned about their future, their direction, where they're headed, the potential consequences for their sin, listen, nobody in this world knows how hard that lifestyle is than them. They're living it. They don't need more beat up. They need more help. I'm not, again, I'm not saying condone their actions. I'm not saying make it easier on them. And I'm not saying provide them with their vice. No, no, no. I'm just saying if you're going to confront, confront others respectfully. View them as valuable as a person at least. You don't have to agree with their position. That's why you're discussing it and that's why you're confronting it. However, make sure you are respectful. Number five, confront others rationally. Rationally. Hey, remain calm in the midst of any response. This is a tough one. Oh, right now it seems easy as we sit here in this place and it's quiet and calm. But listen, it's not easy to remain calm in the midst of a conversation or a confrontation. It can be real easy. Proverbs 15.1. Turn there if you would, please. I think this one's so important, we need to see it with our own eyes. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. If someone will come up here and drink what's in this bowl, I will give them that dollar bill. (laughs) If we was at a youth rally, somebody would have already been up here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't want you really to do that. But anyway, Proverbs 15, 1. Notice what it says. The Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Emotion is God-given. There's no doubt about that. But like any drive or any desire that is God-given, it must be tempered. 
See, emotion can be one of the greatest blessings on earth, but it also can become one of the greatest curses. I have heard, I've witnessed situations and circumstances, some of the most saddest displays ever of emotion. I mean, conversations between husbands and wives, maybe between parents and their children, maybe the people and the pastor, employees and their bosses, simply maybe a, a, a confrontation between friends even, just those, those words, those, that emotion gets out of control, and next thing you know, World War III erupts. And the end is simply carnage and disaster. Boy, rash responses have destroyed relationships. But we've got to be so careful. I mean, how many times has someone said something in the heat of an argument that later they regretted? Don't raise your hands. Obviously, we could all raise our hands, couldn't we? You say, oh, I never could. I beg to differ with you. Oh, but anyway, I, <laughs> I'll stay calm. Okay, hold on. I beg to differ with you. But anyway, uh, a soft answer turns away wrath. But grievous words, man, they stir up all kinds of problems, don't they? Isn't it sad to think of a parent who hasn't spoken to a child in years simply because they blew up at one another? That's sad, isn't it? Do you know anybody in your family like that? Do you know anybody that hasn't spoken to mom or dad or mom and dad haven't spoken to one of the kids or... Maybe brother or sister hasn't spoken to anyone in the last so many years simply because words were exchanged, the wall was put up, and now there's division. Probably it was in the heat of an argument. People getting angry, saying things that probably under other circumstances they'd never say. I'd imagine that there's regret that's felt at times, but pride, unfortunately, won't permit reconciliation. I want to give you ten things that you'll never regret. I found these, and I want to share them with you. I think they're pretty good. Number one, you'll never regret showing kindness to an aged person. I resemble that that remark, but anyway. Number two, destroying a letter written in anger. It wasn't that long ago I wrote a letter. It's actually an email. I got going. It was moving, buddy. My fingers were flying. I don't think I ever typed faster. It was good. It was scathing. It was going to hit below the belt. It was going to end the fight. It was going to be a knockout punch. I read through it. Deleted it. You ever written something or text something or put something into text or, or maybe into an email and then you came to the point, conclusion that, wow, that's rough. Hey, you will never, ever regret destroying a letter or an email written in anger. Number three, you'll never regret offering an apology that will save a friendship. You'll never regret stopping a scandal that was ruining a reputation. You'll never regret helping a boy or girl find themselves. You'll never regret taking time to show consideration to parents, friends, brothers, and sisters. You'll never regret that. You'll never regret from refraining from gossip when others around you delight in it. 
You'll never regret refusing to do a thing which is wrong, although others do it. You'll never regret living according to your convictions. And you'll never regret accepting the judgment of God on any question. But you know what you will regret? You'll regret responding out of emotion and anger. You'll regret that. And I'd say by far that's probably the way most people respond to confrontation. They lose control of their emotion. They get upset. They say things they don't even really mean at times. Or if they didn't mean them, they didn't say them the way they should have come out. Instead of addressing the issue, they attack the person or individual. Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Do you know that the walls were for protection? A city built walls. I mean, you think of Jericho. Think of Babylon. The walls were astronomical. They were huge. They were large. Why? For protection. When the children of Israel went on into the promised land, they faced the Jericho. And one of the concerns was that the walls were so thick and so tall. And how are we going to penetrate and ultimately destroy this enemy? God said, listen, you march around it ultimately six day, one time for six days and seven times on the seventh. And the walls will fall. And they did. But let me tell you, the walls were there for protection. And when you do not have, when you cannot control your spirit, you have no protection. You open yourself up to the attack of Satan. You open yourself up to all kinds of of ridicule. You open yourself up to all kinds of embarrassment. How many times have you felt like a fool when you got done with a a confrontation because you lost your temper? I've been there enough times. I finally had to say to myself a number of times, I'm not going there again because I don't like having to apologize for what I've said. I got tired of it. And every once in a while, I catch myself now and I think, man, I could just go buck wild. (laughs) Boy, I hope I... And I ask God, give me the grace to catch myself before I lose control. Nothing good comes out of an emotional response when you're in confrontation. I think of Jesus before Pilate. In John chapter 18, verse 37, the Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. I mean, Jesus is God. He could have said, Hey, what are you you questioning who and what I am? Then he could have lost his cool. He could have destroyed him and everyone else in the proximity of that, that, that courtroom. He could have destroyed the whole world if in his anger and rage, if he so chose. But Jesus Christ remained calm. A soft answer. In Peter, we learn that there came a time when Jesus stopped responding altogether even. But instead, he committed himself into the hands of God, or God's hands. In 1 Peter chapter 2, turn there if you would please, verse 22. I want you to notice this. 
If, if there's a mistake we make sometimes, it's thinking that if we keep talking, we'll fix someone or something. Sometimes we're better off to be quiet and say nothing. Especially when someone begins to attack us as a person, when they start to question our integrity or our character. It's one thing for someone to point out areas and things we are doing wrong. It's another thing to say, you are a bunch of, you're a piece of trash. Hey, listen, don't, people say the hor- most horrible things to people. They'll say things like that to their wife. They'll call them names. They'll rebuke them in ways that they would only somebody in the street that's doing horrible deeds. Let me tell you something. You talk to your wife out of anger. You talk to your wife and call her names. You go ahead and label her certain horrible types of people. Don't, I don't even understand what planet you're on, sir. And then you expect her to love you and to embrace you and to show you affection. You're a dirty dog. And you wives that want to put your husbands down and call them names in front of your friends and rip them down and and destroy their person and, and tell people they're of no value and that they're worthless. And then you expect them to go to work and provide for you? You're no better. We live in fantasy worlds. The world does not revolve around us. And honestly, I don't know about you, but if someone would feel that way about me, I don't need them. And how in the world are you going to be effective in a confrontation with someone you love and care about if you can't control your temper and deal with them respectfully? I don't live in your home, but I'll guarantee you I know what goes on in homes because people tell me. And if it goes on in Christians' homes, I know it's going on everywhere. And I'm going to tell you something. We had better get a handle on some things because we're supposed to be like Christ. And Christ shut His mouth sometimes and said, that's all right. I'm going to commit this one to God because obviously I'm getting nowhere with you. You can think what you want. You can have your own opinion. You can even crucify me if you choose. But I am not going to sit and argue and fight with you. I'm simply going to commit it to God and commit myself to God. Who did no sin, 1 Peter 2.22. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Can I tell you, if we had no guile in our mouth, you'd be amazed how many relationships would be fine. You tell your kid he's stupid enough, guess how he's going to act? Stupid. You tell him he's wicked enough, he'll be wicked. You go ahead and keep telling them how nasty and dirty and filthy they are, that's what they'll be. And you know what? It's true with us adults too. You get a boss that never finds anything right with your work, and I'm not talking about you're not doing anything right, because if you don't, you don't deserve the job, you ought to be fired. But if you're doing the job and it's right, and, you can, and it's right there in front, and he still says, well, that's good, but it's not good enough. I need to do more, do more, do more. You're never doing it enough. You're never doing this. you got a problem. You better find a new job. That person's not going to work for you if that's the way you're treating them. Now listen, there's a bunch of lazy people in the world. I understand that. And in that situation, we'd probably be better off to fire them instead of try to fix them sometimes. But boy, when there is a situation where you are negative and you are always demeaning people, they're not going to grow for Christ. They're not going to become what you want them to be just because you 
intimidate them into subjection. Jesus said, listen, you go ahead and do whatever you want, but here's what I'm going to do. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You're going to throw an accusation at me? I'm not going to accuse you. You're going to get angry with me? I'm not going to get angry with you. I'm just going to trust God with me. God knows who, what my heart is like. God knows who I am and what I'm about. If I can't talk to you like a human being, we can't discuss this in a rational fashion, respectful manner, I'm just going to let God have control of this. I'm done talking. You understand? And sometimes we'd be better off to stop talking instead of keep digging the hole deeper. Confrontation is a difficult thing. Sometimes you're better off to be quiet and just say, <clears throat> and then they get mad because you don't talk it. But at least it's not because I said something stupid, they're mad at me now. When you're being attacked or accused, sometimes it's best to say nothing. Gentlemen, can I give you a piece of advice? When she is on the warpath, say nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. Sometimes we dig deep holes. Sometimes before it's over with, we're saying things we regret. Sometimes before it's over with, there's relationships that are severed simply because we could not either respond in a quiet fashion or we said things out of emotion and anger that just simply divided us. And I hate to have to, I would hate to have to deal with that all the time. What a horrible thing. Be careful. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Turneth away wrath. You know... Be in control of your emotions. Do your best to stay in control of your emotions. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, sometimes we are filled with rage, anger. Don't allow emotions to rule you. Let God's Spirit rule you. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. At our men's conference, our speaker talked about gentleness. One of the most difficult things sometimes for a man is to be gentle. Yet we must be gentle. That's evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. There ought to be compassion in our eyes. Our hearts. And there ought to be a, a calming effect in our lives. I mean, when you get around people in situations, does everything explode and blow up? Or do you bring a calm to things? There always has to be somebody in a situation, usually. Usually it's one. At least one that has the ability to bring everything down. Otherwise, it's going to go crazy. Because most people do not control their emotions. I want to encourage you as children of God to carry, to walk in the Spirit. Express and exhibit gentleness in your life. Number six. 
Not only, as we noted here already, we're to confront others respectfully and rationally, but we're to confront others responsibly. Responsibly. When I'm talking about responsibly, I'm saying we need to remind ourselves to listen to people. Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. So you're going to look like a fool. If you don't know all the details, if you haven't gotten all the facts, then you can't possibly know what you're talking about. And you can't possibly have arrived at the right position till you know all the facts. That's a tough thing. When you consider, you know, as we're going to be making votes in the month of November for a president of the United States, that bothers me because I often feel like I don't know all the, all the, all the things that need to be known. That's a tough decision to make for me. I always feel like there's something I'm not being told, or if I'm being told it, is it really truth, or is it a lie? Is it factual, or is it based on some misrepresented truth? We've got to remind ourselves to listen. He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. See, again, you may inquire, you may investigate, but before you indict someone, before you just assume they're wrong, before you assume they made a mistake, before you assume that they just did it to hurt you, to harm you, to spite you, you need to get all the facts. Too often we jump to conclusions concerning others that are just frankly wrong. So don't come to rash decisions. Don't just hear, oh, so-and-so said that. Oh, I know what they're thinking. And I know what they did. And, ooh, bam, you nail them. Don't do that. Don't let that happen. You've got to take time to hear the matter and consider it in your mind. Think it through. Drink in all the facts. View them indiscriminately. Take your emotion out of it. Hear what is the truth and what's being said. And only then, by that unbiased review, can you possibly come to a safe conclusion. In Ken Blanchard's and Spencer Johnson's book, The One Minute Manager, they state, you never give a reprimand based on hearsay. Never give a reprimand based on hearsay. Well, so-and-so did this. Oh, I am going to nail them to the wall. You know what? I'm sick and tired of you doing that, and that's driving me crazy. Doing what? Well, you, you did this. No, I didn't. Well, so-and-so said you did. I heard that you did this. Well, I did do that, but you're misunderstanding what I did and why I did it. Here's what I did, really, and here's why I did it. Oh, my bad. You understand where I'm going? We do that often. If we're not careful, I know I'm very capable of that. I mean, that's, that's par for the course. I mean, I've got all the answers, right? I know everything. I mean, I know what, I know what you're thinking, and you know what I'm thinking. I know what they're thinking. I know why they did that. You understand? Well, maybe you don't. You're obviously better than I am. I'll tell you, I've got to hold. I've got to be careful of this stuff. Misinformation abounds in our culture. Everywhere you turn. Everywhere you turn. We hear only part of the story most of the time. And as a result of that, we judge the whole situation from part of the information. 
are part of the story. That's dangerous, very dangerous. General George Marshall offered this formula for handling people. He said this, listen to other, the other person's story. Listen to the other person's story. Number two, listen to the other person's full story. Number three, listen to the other person's full story first. I thought, wow, he's driving that home pretty heavy, isn't he? Here again, here's what he said. Here's the formula for handling people. Listen to the other person's story. Listen to the other person's full story. Listen to the other person's full story first. That's how you handle people. Have you ever felt like you were misunderstood? You ever feel that way? I have. Trust me. I feel that way. You feel that way. Why do we often feel that way? Because in the back of our minds, we think to ourselves, if only they understood what I was really thinking and why I did what I did, they would know. They only got part of the story. They don't know about this situation and that situation or what happened over here. They only see what they see. And sometimes, let's face it, we have to be careful of that because that is all the world sees. But hold on. You can't control all those things. I wish people sometimes would give me the benefit of the doubt until they talk to me and ask me first. And you feel the same way, don't you? Again, we're talking about confrontation. How do you do it effectively? Well, you have to make sure that you do it responsibly, first of all. Don't rush into a confrontation with only half the facts and then start blasting somebody or giving them, this is what you've been doing, this is how it's been going, and here's how it's been affecting people. Well, really? When? Where did you, when did I do that? Well, I don't know, but I heard you did. You get where I'm going? That's what makes parenting kind of tough with kids sometimes. You know, everybody and their brother wants to tell you what your kids are doing wrong. But until you see it, until you have evidence of it, how, what do you take their word and then just go in and blast your kid? That's a tough balance to find, isn't it? Now, if the teacher at school tells me that my kid's sleeping in class, I've probably got, pretty good, I've probably got a pretty good source there telling my kid's sleeping in class. You've been sleeping in class? Nope. Well, how's it come on every report card? There's this little note, and every time there's a teacher conference, I get told that. Well, teacher, obviously the teacher must be sleeping because I'm wide awake. I don't think so. But you do. You, we have to weigh things out. We have to ask the right questions. We've got to get the information. We've got to research it and investigate things. Before we indict, we investigate. We get all the facts, we put it together, and then when we do address the situation and make the confrontation, at least we have something to stand on. And we do it respectfully. And we do it responsibly. We've got to be careful with that. When I think about this confrontation, as I told you, I hate confrontation. That's not my personality. I hate it. But if we're going to have strong, stable, and satisfying relationships, then we are going to have to find, we're going to find that sometimes confrontation is absolutely necessary. There is no way a marriage can be strong unless there's honesty. It's, it's got to be the foundation of your marriage. And you know what? Sometimes, gentlemen, you're not going to be satisfied and pleased with what's going on in your home maybe with your wife or your children, if you're not honest enough to address that issue, your marriage is going to suffer. Your home will suffer. Ladies, it's the same thing with you. 
We've got to be honest with ourselves and we have to face life head on. You can't just bury your head in the sand. And sometimes confrontation is an absolute necessity. But if you're going to confront, you need to do it effectively. And if you're going to do it effectively, you have to make sure that you do it humbly, sincerely, realistically, respectfully, rationally, and responsibly. Otherwise, it could even make bigger problems. Don't paint yourself in a corner by giving ultimatums before you have all the answers. Again, be honest, direct, be steadfast, but do it lovingly, kindly, unselfishly. Let it be the other person's best interest at heart. Let it not be just so my life can be better and easier and more comfortable, but instead so that your life can ultimately be more productive, more positive, and ultimately better. I'm confident and convinced today that God's confronting you and I even this morning. He's confronting us with our sin. He's confronting us with ourself at times. And certainly with the cross of Jesus Christ. The truth is that the relationship that is most important is the one that we have with Him. We need that relationship. It's imperative and it's so important that we have it. I mean, the Bible tells us that we are at enmity with God without Jesus Christ in our life. That we are battling, that we are literally the enemy of God. Well, that's no way to live a life with a relationship so strained that we're literally considered the enemy. No, God is our Creator. He counts us valuable. And He says, listen, I consider you valuable. I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care how wet behind the ears you are. I don't care how wrinkled you are or how mis, uh, uh, how, how uh, contorted you are in your mind or your body. I count you to be valuable. And I love you. And I died for you. And I rose for you. And I want to save your soul today. God doesn't want you to... Be punished one moment for sin. He doesn't want you to spend one moment in hell. He wants you to live with Him forever. And He wants you to experience joy unspeakable and full of glory. He wants you to have that life that is more abundant than ever. He wants you to have a successful, productive Christian life. Ephesians 2.16 says, And he that... That, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity. That cross hung there. Jesus hung on that cross 2,000 years ago to, to do away, wash away the enmity. The, we don't want to be at odds with God. I hope you don't want to be at odds with God. But until you get right with the Lord Jesus Christ, until you've invited Him in your life, asked His forgiveness, repented of your sin, you are still at opposition with God. And He will confront one day, if not now. I believe He's confronting in Holy Spirit conviction today. But one day, you'll stand before God and you'll have no excuse whatsoever for not inviting Christ into your life. And I don't want you to have to stand there. He says in Revelation 20, verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and Him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. 
And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If your name is in the book of life, you have at some point came to Jesus Christ, invited Him into your life, and accepted Him as your Savior. If you've not done that, then your relationship with God is totally and completely strained. You don't even have a walk with God. You may think, I'm the child of God, therefore I'm going to heaven. It don't matter. God would never send anyone to hell. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't send anyone to hell, but people choose to go there because they reject the wonderful sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary 2,000 years ago by shedding His blood, being buried, and rising again. I want you to know that God made provision for you. You must accept that provision by inviting Him into your life and accepting Him as your Savior. To fail to do so means that you'll not be written in the Lamb's book of life, and when you stand before God at the great white throne judgment, He'll look for your name in that book, and as He flips through the pages, He'll recognize something very, very true, that He can't find your name. And if he can't find your name, the Bible says he's going to have to cast you into the lake of fire. That's not something God takes pleasure in. God wants nothing at all to do with that at all. He loves you and he died for you and he wants you to be with him forever. So here's what you have to do. You have to accept him today. Don't delay. Don't walk out of here lost. Don't walk out of here not knowing for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. Instead, make up your mind. I'm going to reconcile this relationship that has been severed since Adam and Eve. I'm going to make sure that I'm his child. I'm going to make sure that I have a reservation in heaven. I want to make sure that I'm walking with God and God is walking with me. I'm going to trust Him today. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you won't ever have to guess. You won't ever have to wonder. You can know. But let me tell you something. If you don't do anything about it, you're not going to stand before the judge and make an argument. You say, why not? At any courtroom, you make your argument, and then sentence is passed. I want you to understand one truth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But it goes on to say, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's saying, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. That's scary. That means you'll have nothing to say at the judgment because you're already condemned. Sentence has already been passed. You have an opportunity to confront the God of heaven today, to face Him, and to allow Him to receive and accept you into His fold. Lord, I'm done running, I'm done hiding, and I'm going to give you my sin and myself. I trust you as my Savior, my Lord. I call on you today to forgive me, save me, and take me to heaven one day. You know what he'll do? He'll save you, forgive you, and he'll take you to heaven one day. That's the God we serve. A forgiving, loving God that wants to see no one perish but all come to repentance. We're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Exhibit faith in Christ. You'll be his child. And God will never allow one of his children to burn. You'll never worry about that again. But listen, heaven and hell are real today. And more important than your family being close-knit, husband and wife being on target, children being in line, is that you've got to walk with God today. You settle that one, it'll set the stage and the tone for the future. Let's make right that relationship with Jesus Christ first. Father, we come to you.
We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us. We're grateful, Father, that you view us valuable today. It doesn't matter what sin, it doesn't matter how we have transgressed or even if we've shaken our fist at you and blamed you for everything in our life. Lord, you still love us. And Lord, you're calling us and you're trying to bring us to the place of decision to receive and accept your son, to allow you to have preeminence in our life, to permit you to to be our Lord and our Savior, our God. Father, may you just bless these that are in the crowd today. And Lord, again, if there's someone without Christ, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, to meet their need. Show them, Lord, that they do not need to leave here lost. They can leave here saved, forgiven. They can leave here with Christ in their life. They can leave here with confidence that heaven will be their home simply because they obey your promises found in the Word of God. Father, help us now, we pray. And Lord, maybe there's someone here too that's already a child of God, but Lord, they're struggling in these areas of confrontation. Maybe they struggle with keeping their emotions under control. Maybe they don't... view people as valuable. Maybe they have a tendency to look down on others. Maybe there's some other area that they need to address. Lord, may you help us to see that, Father, our goal is truly to help the person, not just to win the battle. Lord, may you just give us wisdom and insight. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet.